Thank you for tuning in to the fourth episode of the Beer City Hopcast. I'm your host, Taylor Darling, and uh, we're going to be talking about the world of homebrewing today. With me, I have Nick Rodimer. He's a local homebrew expert. Uh, Doug Dorda, barrel house seller lead at Founders Brewing Company and a former employee at Siciliano's uh, Homebrew Shop, and Ben O'Connor, owner of O'Connor's Homebrew Shop. Thank you for joining me, guys. Thanks for, Thanks for having us, man. Um, homebrewing's obviously really big in Grand Rapids, and I think is a really important part of the brewing community and industry as a whole. And um, I think the professional brewing industry and the amateur uh, brewing industry um, have a lot of ties together, and uh, um, I think it's just a fun thing to talk about. Yeah, I could say, especially uh, being sitting at this table, now working at Founders, pretty much I think it would be fair to say that I wouldn't be living in Grand Rapids uh, if it wasn't for home brewing in the first place. Uh, as I was going to college, very typical story for a lot of us, I kind of lost my way. I uh, was originally wanted to get involved in film and video, so hi, everybody that's doing that. If you are doing that, <laughs> keep pursuing your dream. It's a wonderful thing, and I, that's the only reason I know about half the stuff sitting on the table. But uh, the point is, I, I lost my way. That wasn't my calling. I eventually found my calling. I found my tribe, and the warm embrace that the homebrewing community can offer people that really, really want to give it a shot is incredible. And now because of it, I have a home, I have a family, I have a career, and I owe a lot of it to homebrewing in general. Doug, did you think you were going to get into professional brewing when you had started working at Sicilianos? That's certainly the dream. And originally, I think everybody starts off with that stage of like, I'm going to open my own brewery. I'm going to be my own brewer. And back then, I mean, we're talking 2007, 2008, there was still such a space available. You know, I think I, I remember looking at one of the Great Lakes Beer Newses and there was only like 80 breweries in the entire state of Michigan and planning a trip to each and every one of them. And now that map would be unfathomable. So I think originally I wanted to start with my own brewery and then you go through the ebbs and flows. Like, no, I'm not going to be a professional brewer, but maybe I can stick with the home brewing thing for a long time. And I always wanted some sort of beer. Never really thought I'd be in the shoes that I'm in now. But if you stick with the industry and really, really try and be open to making contacts and be open to talking with people and be open to really, really uh, giving it your all, you might end up somewhere you didn't expect. I think a lot of people go through that. Um who become brewers and where they start saying, oh, I want to open up my own brewery and I have these huge dreams. And um, the more you look into owning a brewery, the more is exactly that. Just owning a brewery. You're not you're not brewing. You're not in on the floor. You're doing paperwork and you're a, a figurehead. Yeah. Well, I mean, how does that how does that resonate for you? I mean, you come from kind of a similar background. I remember talking to you back then. Uh, absolutely. I mean, and honestly, you, you, in a way, were a big part of my journey through um, home brewing and into professional brewing um, in that when I had first discovered this passion, um, I was going to Siciliano's and I remember you helping me out uh, building recipes and um, kind of giving me a guiding hand at a time when I knew literally nothing. And I had these large dreams that I was going to open up my own brewery and I'd been homebrewing for probably a year at this point, um, but I was super passionate about it. And you get to a point where you think, well, okay, there's so many breweries out there, and uh, you know, I'm just a homebrewer. I don't know what I'm doing. And 
I think that dream kind of fell on the wayside when I started working at the Mitten and realized I don't want to own a brewery. I don't want to be an owner. I don't want to have anything to do with, with that side of, of brewery operations. Um, so in a lot of ways, I think I went through the same exact kind of ebbs and flows that you did. And I'd be curious to say, like, for both of you guys, first off, I'd want to know, how did you decide to turn that dream into, let's start a homebrew store, and then I'd want to hear why, what, what you love about homebrewing as, as it makes it addendum to the life that you were already living. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was pretty young when we opened the shop. I was 29, so I kind of just jumped head first right into it, basically, and, uh, you know, kind of perfected it through the years, but uh, I just... I loved homebrewing. I, the first time I walked into a homebrew shop, I just loved the smell and just the, just the, everything about it, you know. So um, for me, it was just just jump head first. And had you been homebrewing before you? Yeah, I'd been homebrewing for probably three years. I was actually in North Carolina at the time um, in Raleigh. I lived there for four years and then wanted to get back home from West Michigan. So um, came back to Grand Rapids and saw an opportunity to to give it a shot and eight years later I'm still doing it so is there a reason that you decided to take the homebrew shop route rather than the professional brewing route yeah we, we looked into to doing a professional uh, to doing a brew pub and uh, it didn't take long for me to figure out that I was probably not gonna be able to handle that kind of workload um, uh, my wife kind of uh, put the brakes on that operation which was <laughs> really good actually because I don't think I could have handled that so you know the, the next step was well what else can we do and you know obviously love beer and want to be in the industry so I just kind of figured it would be manageable for you know somebody who'd never owned a business in the past sure and uh nick you've taken your homebrewing to to new heights um but yet managed to keep it relatively humble um what is your reasoning for having not taken that, I guess, further? You know, one of the nice things about homebrewing is you can do with it what you want. If you think about it, you can make it a social activity that you do with your buddies, you know, on a Saturday. Or you can be like me and have it open up, you know, a lot of different avenues where you, you can still do things that you want to without making it a career um, and still have fun with it. So, you know, for me... I've made a lot of friends and connections, you know, first through the homebrew shop world and other clubs, and then eventually a lot of the, you know, commercial brewers in town I've got good relationships with, and um, that that's just what fueled it for me. I mean, that was the fun part, you know, I'm constantly curious. I, I love the process of the whole thing, you know, and being able to talk to, you know, folks at the pro level certainly is, you know, it's fun having those conversations. Because um, like you said, when we opened it up, there's a lot of commonality between, between the two. You know, a lot of folks started, I mean, I think of all the homebrew shop alumni they're working oh, in legitimately important mm-hmm. positions in local yeah. breweries now there's a Everywhere. whole roster between the two of your shops so it, it's one of those things where you know i call it kind of a hobby plus when i when i talk to people about it because they're always i mean even at my day job people ask me they're more curious about what's going on in my brewing stuff because i never intended for that to happen in an office environment but then people got interested and that's far more interesting than my uh, my real work apparently so <laughs> Um, what is so, your real work? I never asked in the years that I've known you. <laughs> so I have a um, kind of a business plan and a finance planning job at um, Spectrum Health. So, um, But it's a career I really like. Um, I've thought a lot about making the jump, um, but it's it's one of those things where there's pieces of this that I really enjoy and I don't want to really disrupt that. And it's a pretty big life shift. So, But I'm a pretty good example, I guess, of what do you want to do with home brewing? And, and still just have fun with it. 
Um, so, but but like I said, it, you can remain as casual as you want, or you can take it serious, or anywhere in between. So, and for some people, turning your hobby into a profession is a nightmare. Well, I, I remember uh, I think it was um, Jamil Zanishev who was on the brewing nut for, for a long time. Now owns a brewery out in California. He's a big name in the home brewing world. He wrote a few books. He, he said that you know for a long time he said I don't want to turn a hobby that I love into a job that I hate. Eventually, the the, the pull was too much. But it's a good piece of advice for a lot of people to say you know make sure you want to make that jump and you know everything that goes into it because like you said. Some a lot of days it becomes paperwork and dealing with regulatory stuff, and you know you're not doing the thing that you love, being in the brew house, creating a product, you know, being creative, executing all those different things that are, are fun about making beer. So it's a whole different world. Absolutely, a lot of my job is spent doing cost analysis and trying to meet deadlines and um, working out extremely difficult schedules and logistics, and I love every minute of it, um, but. If, but it wasn't what you expected, probably, either. Sure. In a lot of ways, it wasn't what I expected. But I think that um, if you like the casual nature of home brewing, that professional brewing probably wouldn't be um, be for you. And it, it, it would become a job. Yeah. I mean, I like the way uh, Steve Siciliano has said it's a truly enriching hobby. Um, and it's not just the process of it, but it's the people you meet. And we got a really good community in Grand Rapids. I mean, I think for a city that's as big as ours, even though we're not, you know, we're not a San Diego or a Denver, the camaraderie amongst the people within this scope is, is pretty close. And I mean, I mean, you know, we're both uh, both your breweries are involved in the Beer City Pro-Am, which is something I helped start, where we pair home brewers and pro breweries together to do collaboration beers. I can't think of another city in the country that would get 26 breweries to come out and do that three years in a row. Um, it, it, that's just unheard of. So I think that really speaks to a the commonality and b how well we mesh as a as a group together. So yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, one of the other things, like you were talking about earlier, uh, the enriching hobby of homebrewing. It's one of the things that I like to hit on as well. So like you were talking about, you you definitely have to meld when you get into the professional side of things, what, what you loved about the home brewing versus what you like about working in the brewing industry and then eventually figuring out what you love about working in the brewing industry. And what I, lo- what I found out that I love is working with a team, uh, working with a team in a really large scale capacity because I deal with all of our bourbon barrel aged products. Uh, that role really evolved uh, throughout, throughout the time that I started working at Founders, but I've discovered that the camaraderie that existed in the home brewing community can exist among that team of four or five guys that's responsible for that every single day. And nobody knows our struggle. Nobody knows our story. That's not our job. Our job is to make sure that it happens. So in some ways, you could say we're a slave to the schedule. In many ways, it's paperwork. It's dealing with all those things. But at the end of the day, knowing that the crew of people that I work with go home happy and healthy and their entire livelihood is brought to them by beer is pretty incredible and a phenomenal permutation of uh, my journey through beer thus far which has been really cool but that all comes from that homebrewing camaraderie it's all the stuff that i learned way back in the day everybody that i met the fact that i could come into this room and sit down and look at each one of your faces and i haven't seen many of you guys in years and it's like it was yesterday and it doesn't matter it's pretty incredible growing up it's really is a unique area in terms of um, in terms of the camaraderie and in terms of the way all the breweries kind of view each other. Uh, we don't, I, 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 maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I don't think all the breweries see each other as competition. And, so, and, 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 and if they do it, it's seen as healthy or friendly competition. And we're all looking out for each other um, in terms of 
hey, we ran out of this grain, or hey, we ran out of this hop, you know, we'll hit somebody up, and yep, they're more than happy to, to lend us a bag of, of, you know, whatever it may be. And I know you don't you don't see that everywhere, and I think homebrewing community, homebrewing com- camaraderie, like you said, has leached into the professional brewing industry in that way, um, and that we're all friends, and we're all, we're all here, you know, on this beer-making journey. Absolutely, yeah. Do you feel, Ben, like uh, any sort of any sense of responsibility or? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm. I'm pretty proud of the fact that we've uh, put, I think, four employees now into the professional ranks. And um, uh, Mitch from Speciation was one of my first employees. I'm really proud of him. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I feel like a homebrew shop is just kind of uh, it's like a it's almost like an educational facility in some ways. It's just like a, the doors open. It's like a beer library, sort of. You just kind of come in and you can ask as many questions as you want, get as much information for free. Granted, you have to buy the products from us, but um, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it's just a revolving door of people who have questions, and we're just willing to give anybody information. You know, if, if you want to, if you're a beginner, if you're an expert, if you're just trying to perfect a recipe, or you know, any of that kind of stuff. So that's one. Again, go back to camaraderie part. If there's one identifying characteristic about most home brewers is their willingness to share things, knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially knowledge. And I mean, I've seen you get a few every now and again who want to hoard it, and and, and it's right. a way to one up people. They typically don't stick very long. Yeah, I mean, you know, like sometimes in the 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 chef world, I guess maybe is a good example where recipes are kept a secret and it's like this sort of nobody wants to divulge information about how they made this one thing. I feel like homebrewers are just like, yeah, this is my recipe. Good luck and see if you can brew it the same way I did. That's that's they the never nice turn thing out is, the same, you yep. know. So. Isn't it uh isn't it probably because at the end of the day, if your buddy makes some awesome beer, you get to drink that. And yeah, that helps. That's what I was going to bring up. I was like, <laughs> speaking of sharing an awesome beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nick, did uh, is this all stuff that you brought? Uh, this, is this you, Ben? Yeah, that's a, a brute cider. Okay. Actually, so so I brought a, a table saison with Britannomyces, so a funky beer. And then took a little chance here. I need to, I'm either going to flop or uh, get praised here. This is a 100-calorie IPA. Uh, it's kind nice. of an experimental beer. Pitching around, it's kind of a new trend in craft yeah, beer. Some, some of the bigger breweries have released those. So I, uh, I said, what happens to make a, uh, what happens when you make a beer with about half the malt of a normal IPA? So, <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite styles right now. Actually, the the diet IPA or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so, here. No, it's actually huge there. for me because anybody watching, the reason I'm uh, schwitzing so terribly is because I I biked over here. Uh, so <laughs> this actually sounds awesome to me right now. All of us have been in the beer industry long enough to, to no, have to start guy, thinking about it. Yeah, just, just have to start thinking about your Isn't how it crazy how is in there and how how it's trending towards and, yeah. lower alcohol? I feel like just a few years ago it was all about BBA and double IPA and nowadays I think everyone wants the light pilsners and the session IPAs. And but I, yeah, I think that shows a, a, a trend toward a lot of the people in this community and I think it's happened Pretty much carte blanche over the entire thing because back when uh, back when I got into it, I know that you had your big guys were like your Stone, your Sierra Nevada. There were maybe five, six really big names. Now there are 16, 17 big names per state. You know, 
Like it's a it's a huge thing, and I feel like that explosion kind of all happened within the same time frame, and that's what everybody wanted. Those big, gnarly, nasty. This is an alcoholic mother. But you keep drinking those over a couple of years, <laughs> and you're gonna do one of two things: you're gonna burn out, or you're gonna pack on the pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you want to have a sustainable livelihood in this career and be able to drink your beers and and have fun and and not burn out on it, you're going to need something like this. Yeah. That was the whole point behind this one is you're working with about a Miller Lite type amount of, you know, malt and, and fermentables and what can you do with some hops in it? So it's you're not going to confuse this for uh for a Centennial or a Two-Hearted or anything big, but I mean, this I'm pretty happy with it's it. It's great. I mean, it's it's got its tastes like a I can't believe you made this this clean. I've had. Yeah. yeah, so this one you get a little bit so it's it's so People are familiar with brewed IPA, newer trend. Uh, that's how this was brewed. So Dogfish Head has uh, their beer. If you look in the can, it says these monk fruit extract. Yep. Well, I found some of that. It's amazing. And beer. I think it really transformed the beer. You just There's nine milliliters and five gallons. In what, was, what was the extract? It's monk called monk fruit, fruit extract. It's a calorie-free natural sweetener. So what it does is it sort of brings the hops out, since there's really no malt to support them. kind of ties the whole thing together. So. Wow. It's not fermentable? It's not fermentable, no. Interesting, is I, it? I don't think, at least. So it gives the illusion of body and also heightens the yes. perception of the hops? A little bit. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. That's it, another thing that you lose if you end up going on the professional side. I know some people marry it really well, uh, where you stick with the home brewing ideology and you can understand what the hot new trends are and all the new things that everybody's trying at home. But at the end of the day, I drink a lot of all-day IPA in solid gold because <clears throat> it's available to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I forget <clears throat> that there are just myriad choices of things that people will want to make at home. This beer is a good illustration of what's fun about home brewing. There's just it, that you get kind of control the recipe for the process from start to finish. So you got to think, what in the world do you put in a green bill like this to make it stand out when you know, you're at half essentially half the amount of green is normal. You know, what technique are you going to use to make the whole thing tie together and not seem astringent? You know, it, you got to think about every single little step and kind of think of it from start to finish. And that, to me, is the fun part. This is, I mean, I work in a finance job. It's not very creative. This is my creative outlet, is trying to figure out how to make this stuff all tie together. So, And that's probably why I like the hobby as much as I do. I'm not quite as pulled to, you know, jump into the industry like a lot of other folks because, you know, you might lose that. Um, and that, that's a big deal for me, so... That may be one of the jarring things about the transition from uh, home brewing to professional brewing is that you are you are the master of every single facet of your brew uh, as a home brewer, in- including things like recipe design. There's all these creative outlets, and I think often people find that the transition to professional brewing leaves them uh, lacking some creative outlets in terms of uh, not being able to create recipes because that's someone else's job or not getting on the hot side of things because that's someone else's job. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel that as um, as the Mittens Head Cellarman, I spend a lot of my days, most of my days, in the cellar, um, moving beer and dry hopping beer and brighting beer. And it's few and far between that I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, able to you know create a recipe or, uh, you know, like you said, be able to sit down and really figure out what, what are the nuances of this beer going to be and, and, and you know what's the finished product going to look like? How do I build this beer? Yeah. And, well, I, I dealt with the same thing. But I, I found that a lot of people <clears throat> who initially start with that, and myself included, where I was like, man, I, I work at Founders now. I work in the cellar. That's where I started. Like, I'm just going to work my way up to a brewer. 
that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get up there, and then eventually I'm gonna I'm gonna really impress that Jared Cosmicky, and I'm gonna tell him about my recipes. And here we go. And within a few years, it wasn't that I didn't want to do that anymore. It's just that I fell in love with cellaring so much more. Yes, especially barrel aging and the process by which we barrel age and the large scale puzzle. Uh, that it takes for us to do what we do because a lot of people are aware that we store the barrels in the mines but we also have our enormous cooler and any of you guys if you ever want to take a tour over at the barrel house you're more than welcome I'm taking you up on that pretty much 8 to 4 Same. every day yeah please yeah. please come by <laughs> well, I've already done it with tons of people even Ren from Siciliano's so you know Ren. oh really oh, yeah, no kidding he's, he's coming uh, I, so I, I mean it like if you want to come by and check it out we don't have a uh, tap room or a tasting room or anything but we're more than happy to show you around Hey, I'm going to go on the record right now and just say that the magic of beer making is in the cellar 100%. So, I did. <laughs> but that's where you fall in love with it, I think, is when you cross that. Well. Maybe, maybe. But you've been doing it so long now. Here's the thing, though. I when I, I did a beer with uh, with Bows several years ago, and I remember one of the brewers jokingly saying that, you know, the brewers, all they do is make sugar water. It's the yeast <laughs> to make the beer. The cellar guys are the most important. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not just, I'm not preening to you, too, but I, I do agree with that. That's where the magic happens. It's it's the reason I stuck around. We'll put it that way. To to each their own, and and especially like the guys in the packaging hall as well. Like it's it's a much larger thing at, at Founders, and I know that you know the guys over at Bell's pretty well. And like yeah. Nick, we'd have to mention him, otherwise he'll be very upset. <laughs> Nick also Nick came Lavelle. from O'Connor's, and he's he's a really good friend of mine from way back in the day before any of us were really big into home brewing. Uh, and he's he's a brewer on Third Shift at Founders as well. But the packaging guys. The people that fall in love with how machines operate, and that's that's what brings your beer to the beach. I was just at a festival. I was at Camp Green's guy, and everybody's drinking these beers out of cans. And there was one from Grand Armory, and I'm like, man, nine, ten years ago, you'd be lucky to find Sierra Nevada in a can. Yeah. And now we've got some of the smallest breweries in the state because of Michigan Mobile Canning being able to can and send their stuff out. So packaging also is pretty incredible. But my heart's in the cellar and always will be. You know, I don't find myself frequenting uh, beer stores very much anymore ever since we got our own, our own canning line like two years ago. And uh, like you were saying earlier, you drink a lot of all day, a lot of solid gold. I drink a lot of country strong, a lot of triple crown brown because that's what's around. We have tons of it. <laughs> There's another brew deal of, uh, of home brewing. Triple Crown Brown's an old homebrew recipe. You know that, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, does that thing ever become a commercial beer without uh, the homebrewing roots? I mean, English dark mild. I mean, you could even say, does the mitten even exist without homebrewing roots? Definitely not. No. no. You know, and I, I wanted to have Jason Warren as our our head brewer on, um, but I'm I don't want to be super partial to the mitten all the time. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he started as a home brewer, and the way he got the job is he walked in with like six of his home brews. And said, hey, I'm Jason. This is my stuff. Check it out. If you like it, give me a call. And they loved it. Triple Crown Brown was one of them. Um, our Milk Stout was another one. Um, in fact, there's quite a few beers on our board that are core beers that were homebrew beers that he had entered into various competitions and um, kind of kept perfecting them, rebrewing them. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's probably true for a lot of breweries, wouldn't you think? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, at Founders, it's it's a little bit harder to kind of to kind of make the permutation because those guys definitely noticed a niche. So Mike and Dave definitely noticed a niche. They they homebrewed. That is one hundred percent certain. But they, I mean, they could not wait to turn the reins over to somebody whose passion was homebrewing. Like those two guys, 
they they knew what they were doing and they really wanted to to build a platform and a stage on which somebody else could sing and that singer ended up being Jerry Cosmicki as we all know mm-hmm. uh, but that's the really cool thing about what your shop does without O'Connor's we don't get those people who fall in love with the hobby it's like walking into a record store and just being able to jam man it's like live jazz like you said it's your creativity outlet mm-hmm. even if you're not ma- actively making a beer you're doing something up here in your mind I'm pointing at my head unless you're watching you have no idea what I'm saying <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but you're you're creating something up top and it's just that collaborative effort talking to everybody else and and thinking oh, I'll never forget my first homebrew idea it was a barbecue porter I was going to take all the ingredients of a barbecue sauce but make it into a beer and oh, I never man. did that because it was terrible Thank I God. tried twice and it was horrific <laughs> Uh, add some smoke malt to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, go ahead, do it. But I was able to talk to people about it, and I had an absolute blast. And because I talked to people about it, they were like, you should make something else. Oh, we got to segue into what's the worst idea a homebrewer's ever come into your shop asking for rescue advice Oh, for. man. Oh, boy. Don't name them by name. but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll have to think about that for a second. Give me a minute here. Well, I'll chime in with my idea as a... Uh, two, three-week-old home brewer. I wanted to make a steak dinner stout. And very similar <laughs> very similar to yours, nice. I wanted it to taste like a steak dinner. I was going to add A1 sauce. and <laughs> The sauce um, directly to it? The sauce directly to it. Uh, I'm so glad I never attempted to make that beer. <laughs> Food pairs with beer. It doesn't need to be beer. Yes. And yeah. Yeah, I, I could say that it, like we didn't have a lot of bad ideas just people who didn't really understand why they might not work out you know and i feel like that's that kind of exists in any creative outlet where you can be like all right well i want this like we, we had guys that always wanted to do like jolly rancher beer or i'll tell you what were some of the worst ones those white house beers do you guys remember when those came out oh yeah the obama recipe yeah yeah, yeah. When yeah, those when those came out those were some of the most atrocious recipes i've ever seen in my life it was like home brewing in the 1960s um, so they were basically written for people that might not be able to get in touch with a homebrew store, but man, having to retcon those into actually brewable beers was a pretty tough time. Yeah, we we had a Skittle beer one time, um, which actually wasn't that bad. Um, you, you used Skittles to carbonate it, so you threw a Skittle in, in each bottle totally rather than priming sugar. And What happened? I mean, they got a little overcarbonated. <laughs> I was Figuring surprised they even carbonated. I thought that the, that they just wouldn't. The that's it's a already, bottle condition. I can use it. I need the nutrients. Wow. So this is a, if you guys don't like the funk, maybe take a pass. But this is a little no, I like really low-gravity Saison. This is another hopefully drinking the summer beer. Um, this is actually a happy accident. I made a Saison last summer that wasn't ready. Tried to turn it real fast. So threw a little... Uh, Tatamices in there, waited six months, bottled it, and I love it now. Great. It's like a funky Saison DuPont. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, mm. Nick, how long have you been at this for? Uh, seven and a half years, I think. So, so, uh, my first batch was the first weekend of 2012 because I got a kit for Christmas. That's how I got into it. A couple stovetop batches, and, yeah. and then it just took off. I got, I'm the type of person who gets hyper-interested in a hobby. You? Uh, yeah, imagine that, right? <laughs> and uh, sometimes they stick, sometimes they don't. And this one, it was a little bit more of a, not sticking, but exploding and becoming life-consuming in a lot of ways. So, But no, it's been good. So 
And half of every one of your paychecks just goes to homebrew equipment every How, week. It probably did at one point. <laughs> yeah. How much time would you say you dedicate per week on average to homebrewing? Like, Does that include you, thinking about it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of depends. Uh, you know, I got a, a three kids, so active life, so you got to fit it in when you can. So mm-hmm. the brew days have started to shift to getting up at 5 a.m. and being done before noon so you can spend the afternoon with the family. But... I mean, it, it can vary. I mean, if you do, if you got a brew day, um, got some cellaring to do, it can be anywhere from eight to twelve hours in a week, just you know, of your free time. Um, you know, some days, some is none, but you know, it's it's one of those hobbies where there's a time commitment. Um, you know, especially if you're, I mean, eighty percent of brewing is janitorial work. It's cleaning and cleaning and sanitizing and then cleaning again. So, yeah. It's, um, uh... Put in honest day's work if you brew a beer, that's for sure. It's one of those things where if you describe to someone what you're doing and didn't tell them you're making beer, they'd probably go, this is a hobby? Yeah. Why? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where the first time you make a really good beer as a home brewer, and you, man, man, I'd pay for this. Uh, that was That's kind of the aha moment. Would you uh, pay walk into a brewery and pay for this? That's the standard why I try to look at every time I make a beer. Is, the answer is yes, you did a good job. If the answer is no, well, you try again. It's still a hobby. You don't have fun with it. Well, I probably brew reckoning. Sorry, uh, you you just gave those numbers. That's a ballpark for a year. I'd, I'd put that somewhere in the neighborhood of like five thousand hours. So Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours of practice makes somebody a pro. I mean that could that could shed a little bit of light on why that beer was so clean. This is absolutely wonderful. You're sitting at this table because that that is a an amount of dedication that is analogous to somebody who's found a way to turn something that is a hobby into also a life profession. And the other important Man, I'm lesson. I'm going to use that for now on. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the other important lesson I would say there is he, Nick just said he's got three kids. So if you're wondering about getting into home brewing but you don't think you might have the time, absolutely you do. Time management becomes a big thing. Yes. Uh, I've heard a lot of people. I stopped home brewing because I don't have three kids. Children. I mean, I wake up. Like I said, who wakes up at, to do a hobby at 5 a.m. on a Saturday? Me. So, you know, it, it, takes, a, it takes a special kind of person. But, uh, you know, it's, I, I still love doing it, you know. Make breakfast while mashing. It's, it's all good. And if you're going to get into it, you got to run it by your wife or girlfriend because... Yeah, don't make that mistake. It can get messy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to uh, find a, yourself in a breakup situation. <laughs> yeah, Nick, this is our first time actually meeting face-to-face. Um, but uh, as we said, the brewing community is very tight-knit, mm-hmm. and uh, we run in uh, the same circles, um, especially online in some of the uh, various forums and Facebook pages that we're a part of. Yeah. Um, and so I see I see your name pop up all the time, and I, I remember asking one of my coworkers, Who, who's this Nick guy? He goes, oh, he's a home brewer. He's a home brewer. I'm like, that's crazy. Um, but you really do seem to, to know what you're talking about, and I, you obviously make fantastic beer. Um, you're an example of somebody who has taken their hobby and made it, you know, a passion. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, this is – it's become normal for me. And it's again, I, I, I go back to, you know, something I think Steve taught me, you know, many years ago is that homebrewing is a lot about, it becomes about the relationships you have with people. And that's, that's kind of what keeps me in it. So if you hear my name, it's again, cause I've enjoyed meeting a lot of the same people you do. Um, and what, what opened those doors, something, you know, simple hobby. Um, so, but, but again, I'll lead with why I started, 
you know, you don't have to take the route I did because, um, you know, it's, it's just not for everyone. You know, sometimes it's just a way to hang out with your buddies on a Saturday. I mean, this Saturday I brewed with my neighbor. He had a couple of his buddies over, and they've been doing the same brew day at the same time of year now for like uh, six, seven years, and that's their thing. You know, for me, I like, I love talking, sh- you know, I say, say talking shop with people, you know, that's fun. So it, it just kind of depends, but it, it's, there's a different route for everyone. It's a, it's a flexible hobby if, if you want to make it that way, so... Someone who's getting into homebrewing for the first time or maybe just has an idea in their head that, hey, maybe I'd like to try this thing out. Ben, what, what, what can they expect? Um, gonna, you'd have to set aside a good four to six hours, I would say, honestly, if, to do your first batch. Um, but as, as you learn and as you, as you brew more beer, you'll figure out ways to, to cut that time down. Um, I always tell people it's, it's like cooking in in a way if you like to cook if you like to create in that way there's a whole you know couple hour process where you're standing over a a boiling pot making soup essentially you know um and then there's a lot of waiting time involved as well but uh um i remember the first first time i brewed beer i checked that fermenter like every single day (laughs) i was sniffing it i was looking watching the airlock and just so worried about that thing, you know. Did you pop the Did you pop the airlock ever? I was super impatient. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, don't oh, do it that. smells like beer. It smells don't like do beer. That. Oh my god. Yeah, it's just. How, uh, how much does it cost to get into homebrewing nowadays? Uh, you can do it for one fifty. Um, that's probably the minimum I, to do it right. Um, if you wanted, if you want to get everything that you're gonna need right away, I would probably think about two hundred would be. Where I would say, um, is that for like an extract batch? Yeah, that's for a, a like a standard, you know, bucket carboy, um, small kettle on your stove type of brewing, malt extract style. Um, and then from there on, you can piece stuff together and um, take it where you want. Uh, whether you want to get into all grain brewing or keep it simple with the extract. Um, I'm just not realizing. I guess I've we've never discussed on this show how exactly beer is made and for those who are listening who have never brewed beer uh but might like drinking it um maybe we should give give a little rundown on the brewing process yeah i mean there's three basic sides to it i guess there's the hot side which is your your mashing your boiling uh portion um then you've got your cool down and then fermentation um bottling i guess could be added in there as well um, if you're not kegging your beer up so yeah it's as simple as you take i mean some sort of starch barley turn it into sugar in the boil add hops while it's boiling to balance out all your sweetness uh, let the yeast go to work yeast turns sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide and i mean it, it's it's a simple biological process at the end of the day um you know it's it's one of those things with home brewing. There's a lot of details you can get caught up on, especially when you're new. Uh, and I think the biggest thing, you know, the advice I give is one: don't be too intimidated by the whole thing. Um, at the end of the day, again, remember it's just a hobby. Uh, two: pay attention to your details because those do become important. But but three: have fun with it. You know, just uh, there, there's you generally speaking, people get into home room because they know somebody that's been doing it. You know, ask questions, use your resources. I mean, people are we said people are willing to share. Um, you know, Ben talked about a $200 investment to get into a hobby you don't know if you're going to stick with. Mm-hmm. Find a friend or find a local club 
where you can sure. observe and hang out with someone. I mean, people are always going to be welcome to do that. I've done it a number of times where you kind of walk people through it. And, you know, after, after they're done, they generally, they're a lot more at ease. I mean, I had a friend of mine that I, I, he went through it. They actually live in Florida and, you know, we went and visited him six months later, and now he's got two thousand dollars with the homebrewing equipment. His <laughs> wife wasn't so happy with me, but yeah, he got into a hobby now that he loves, and he met neighbors because they all come out and they brew together. And I mean, that's a that's a wonderful thing to start, though. You know, that, that again shows that it's just it's one of those things where it's not just a hobby you can do by yourself, which you know you can, but if you make it social, you know, you can open up connections too, and and that's what they've done in his neighborhood, which I thought was great. From a metaphorical side, I would say it's it's somewhere in the neighborhood of you brought up cooking earlier, which is a fantastic way to put Absolutely. it. Absolutely, uh, you can you can anybody can make a chili, right? Anybody can go to the store and they can buy a little pre-made chili kit. And so long as you got a big enough pot, boom, you're making chili. If you want to make it from scratch, you can absolutely do that. You can stew the tomatoes. You can get down and dirty with the process. You can get so involved with it that it becomes a multi-day endeavor. You can make a vegetarian chili. You can make a beef-laden chili. You can do anything you want. To put it in a non-chili perspective for those people that are like, chili, what the hell? <laughs> anybody can pick up a, a drum. You know, Anybody can pick up a bongo drum and they can start beating on the top of it. It's as, it's as simple as that. You just you just go. You start jiving. Eventually, you can get absolutely incredible. You can be like a professional. But we don't all start out like professionals. We just start beating on the top of something, and eventually it becomes music. So from the metaphorical side, it, if you don't think you can do it, you absolutely can. And if, you, if you're scared to try, there's absolutely no reason to be. Because I guarantee you, if you walk into O'Connor's tomorrow, if you walk into Siciliano's tomorrow, there will be... Two people that work there and 16 people that don't work there that are more than happy to guide you Absolutely. through the process. You know, Ben mentioned uh, he, he, he mentioned the word all grain, and, um, and I, I spoke of extract. You know, for, for those who um, might feel like the process itself is a little daunting, there are options available to you as a home brewer um, to kind of expedite the entire process. Um, and uh, malt extract is one of them. It's it's essentially it's pre-made, uh, concentrated wort, uh, which wort is uh, unfermented beer, but it comes in liquid form. It comes in dry form. And uh, if you're not looking to get into the nitty gritty of mash temperatures and um, sparging and you know everything that goes in um, into that portion of the hot side, I mean, there are these extracts available to you to instantly have uh, fermentable liquid. It's a beautiful option if you're short on time. Yeah, that, that same sure neighbor is. I told you about they brewed with, uh, I, I taught him in a way how to do that really short brew day with a malt extract and he took it a step further and can do a beer in, in under an hour on, on the brew day. Somehow on a stovetop. I I haven't asked him on the details. I just, okay. But uh, that just proves, you can, you can, he calls it weeknight IPA. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, again, so if you don't have time, I brew extract beers every once in a while. Just if I don't have a lot of time, and I mean, you can make really. There's always this misconception in my mind in, in the homebrewing world that extract beers are never going to be any good, or there'll always be a step below. You get fresh ingredients, and you do the process right. I, I know sometimes people can't even tell the difference. Yeah, so care yeah, on the making is all the difference. It's all yes. about execution at that point. I yep. mean, um, and getting back to fermentation. I mean, if you if you ferment properly, I mean, you can make a, an amazing extract beer. I mean, you really can. Yeah, I mean, if you're an early home brewer right now and you're listening and you're thinking about what kind of, where do I spend my money? 
don't get the $2,000 brew stand to make your uh, your sugar water again. Uh, spend a little money and get something you can ferment and control your temperature because, I mean, that's... Celery. Celery. Yeah. Let's go back see these guys. No, that's, that's where good beer and great beer or average beer and good beer, that's where the difference comes. Um, yeah. That's... That's the, that's the big thing. My yeah. friend and I were we were mash efficiency junkies, and we spent so much time just trying to get the most out of our grain uh, when we moved to all grain. So I guess the difference between you know extracting all grain is that you're you're mixing your hot water and your grain, and you're you know extracting the the sugars that way as opposed to just adding a, a, a sugary liquid or, or powder. Um, and we were so focused on that. It was, that was the fun part of brewing, was mashing and boiling. The not-so-fun part about brewing is uh, racking to secondary or, God forbid, bottling day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like you said, we neglected the cellaring side of things um, in favor of the hot side of things and, more often than not, made really crappy beer. Yeah, it, it, the devil's in the details, always. But because of that, and because of the analytical nature that I find many homebrewers tend to have in their brain, a lot of people really, really love to look at something, or they want to you know, compare data from this sheet to the next. If you find yourself being in that camp, and you're like, oh man, but I don't want to give up my mash efficiency calculations, or what my strike water calculations would be, or how much I can improve my thermal dynamics when it comes to my mash ton. If you don't want to give those things up, there are so many different options now, and of little like, uh, the airlocks that can give you CO2, they they can oh, give yeah. you temperature readouts, they can give you how much is bubbling per hour. Go ahead and, and look at that stuff. Being a professional brewer now, one of my favorite things to look at is data trends. It's absolutely amazing. But I can look at those in terms of fermentation. I can look at those in terms of temperature over time. Uh, if you find yourself having that analytical mindset and you're like, ah, oh, man, but I love that on the hot side, see if you can apply that to the cold side. Because there's as much very interesting information there, especially when it comes to pitching yeast. Far so, more interesting. Yeah, if you really, really want to get nitty-gritty with some numbers, really do a lot of a research about yeast. So we're, we're doing a whole 180 swing now. We were just talking about the easiest way to get into it. One of the most difficult things that you could really focus on is yeast and yeast pitching rates and yeast health. It's a very, very, very in-depth subject, but it can be... Fascinating. The microbiological aspect about of beer making is why I love beer making so much. I created the Mittens Yeast uh, Management Program, and good on you. Whereas before we were pitching dry yeast um, on the top of the fermenter after we knocked out, and now uh, we're doing slurry density and viability counts. Um, we're using actual actual proper pitching rates, um, and uh, harvesting and reharvesting yeast over multiple generations. Um, it's a really good program, and it shows in the beer that the beer is cleaner than ever. And it's, um, it, like you said, the devil's in the details. It, you you can get really really into it. And I think from a homebrewing perspective, I was extremely intimidated because um, I I don't I didn't have a microbiological background, um, and so it's easier to say, oh well, you know, matching these temperatures for your strike water and all this stuff. That's the easy stuff, you know. Oh, I can really uh, I can really latch onto that, but. It takes a, a bit of you know knowledge about microbiology to actually ferment your beer properly. I can speak from experience that science never interested me until it involved <laughs> brewing and fermenting. <laughs> yeah, want, wanting to have a, a really well-made product, but also wanting that product to have 
the perfect relaxant, which is alcohol, are two very powerful motivators for you to be like, oh man, I guess I will read this section about yeast counts and viability. Sure is. Because once you've got a little bit of anesthetant in you, it's a lot easier to struggle down with those those things you didn't necessarily want to get into in the first place. And if anyone wants to get into that, Chris Way and Jamil Sanisef's, uh yeast book in the... Uh, um, What's the series called? The Brewers Brewers Elements. Elements. So the Elements series. Yes, you have the Elements series. Uh, The yeast book is, that's a Bible right there. All of that Mm -hmm. stuff. The malt book, the water book. Uh, Have they done? They did hops too. Yeah. So all that stuff is all down. Yeah. I mean, all of it. If you want to get into a deep dive and go super geeky, we're talking like the Game of Thrones books to the Game of Thrones show. Like if you want to go absolutely crazy town nuts, that's the best way to do it, hands down. Those are great resources. All four of those books, um, they can get really dense, but they can also be very approachable too. And I, I, I like that about that uh, that series. Yeah, it's it's that perfect like read up to here, and then the more you want to know, read this next chapter. And we'd, absolutely we'd be totally remiss if we didn't bring up, you know, what's the one book you should buy if oh, you're a yeah. new home brewer? I, yeah. mean, you I get, hope we all say the same thing. you got to get How to Brew. Well, yeah, okay, Palmer, good. How yes, to How to Brew, of course. Good. John Palmer. It's right yeah. in the title. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it says everything you need to know make your first batch of beer, and then it gives you a lot of tips on, on the back end how to take it from, okay, you figure out, you can know how to do it now to how to do it well. And from there, you know, you buy that book, and if you're like me, you end up with uh, 30 more. And pretty soon you have a collection. So, but you know, it's all got to start somewhere. And John Palmer's been editing and revising how to brew for years, twenty years. Twenty, twenty, yeah. Um, yeah, that dude is that dude's the man. <laughs> he really is. We're talking like the the mega nerds of the industry. But he found that way to take. Clearly, his passion is the nitty gritty of absolutely everything, and he found a way to make it make sense to the layman and open a door. Uh, to the possibility of making it as difficult as you want or uh, to learn as much as you want, I guess I would say. Because a lot of even the information that's sitting in the back of how to brew, like his tables and his charts, is still hyper-relevant to this day. We mm-hmm. even cite it at Founders all the time. Like a lot of guys coming in, oh, how did you figure that out? Just pop up in the back of the book like like this. Like One of the greatest on? resources for troubleshooting is read. Read, do research. Um, call the homebrew shop. Call the homebrew <laughs> shop. Absolutely, I I've been on the phone with uh, um, with you before uh, troubleshooting something that happened with my beer. I remember calling Sicilianos and saying, you know, we use the star sand stuff. Um, am I supposed to? Am don't I supposed to like rinse it out? Yeah. Like I I don't want to put my beer in the, with this chemical. And they're like, no, you can drink this stuff. It's completely fine. But to me, that was so weird that. Like, I can mix the sanitizer in my beer? That sounds super weird. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole threshold for what you do want to know, what you don't want to know. But that's that's the whole point here is, like, call your homebrew shop, call your friends, get involved in a community, find people that you can call your tribe. And what you will discover is that it's not just one tribe, it's this massive tribe. And eventually you learn about so many other people in this city. And now it's to the point where I remember the first time I came into Grand Rapids and I was like, how could I ever navigate all of this? And now it's like this tiny little, tiny little town that I like to call home. Mm-hmm. And I have the absolute pleasure of any time I go out into the tap room, seeing at least five people that I'd learned saw from the homebrew community, a whole bunch of my coworkers, a whole bunch of just other friends from the city, and I can, I have the luxury of choosing who I want to go and have a conversation with, which is pretty incredible. And it, it's a very hard choice. Yeah, the whole brewing community just really does um, attract awesome people, really smart people too. You know, like John Palmer, he's he's what he's a, a metallurgical en- engineer. Yeah. 
I feel like a lot of engineers kind of gravitate towards. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say the, the analytical yeah. types. You hit the nail on the head, man. Uh, you know, not everyone. I mean, you got a lot of. It's it's, it's really interesting because brewing is part art, part science. Um, you can be somewhere in between, but you can be on either end of the spectrum and still be potentially really good at it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But man, I mean, many uh, many an engineer has turned into a home brewer and then turned into an entrepreneur by doing some gadget that they know other engineers that are home brewers are going to want to buy. Um, or they make their, I mean, the DIY culture in home brewing is probably one of the strongest. I mean, people wanting to make their own stuff. I DIY tons of stuff. I still use to this day. Um, you just got to know what your specs are. You know, it doesn't have to be the prettiest thing in the world, um, but, you know, is it functional? I mean, I built my own mash tun out of an igloo cooler, oh, yeah. uh, and that made a lot of really, I mean, I won a, a, a national homebrew competition medal, gold medal five years ago, made that beer in an igloo cooler. So it proves you don't have to have the shiniest, fanciest equipment. You just got to know how to use it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that it should not shy people away if you walk into your friend's place and he's got $3,000 worth of shiny stainless steel in his garage, you can get away with 300 bucks, like you said to Ben, as long as you know how to use it correctly. If it's stupid and it works, is it really stupid? Precisely. I can, yeah. I can tell, I, I won't let me say it, but I could tell you so many stories about weird little things. would be like, really, that's how we do that? No, like, yeah, whatever. It's essentially the equivalent of hit it with a hammer. Mm-hmm. And away it goes. Uh, <laughs> like So that never goes away either. Founders uh, just made a post about using a kiddie pool the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we do this guy, like, you wouldn't believe. But I can't say stuff. I can't. The one thing I can say is with Tank Bender. Uh, that was our 20th anniversary beer that we did. So it was the really big ice box. And I, that was at my facility. So we, we released this story, but anybody who doesn't know it, we, we hooked up a separate chiller to it to be able to freeze the beer that was inside. And while we were moving the beer, because we froze it for a little while, I was standing next to the tank and I heard, and I looked up at it and something started dripping and I was like, uh-oh, ah, that's not good. And then we, we got done moving everything and I opened the door and there were just chunks of ice everywhere. And our temp probe, so all that had actually bent was our temp probe in the back. Very easy fix. The difficult thing was the hundreds of pounds of ice that are now on the bottom of this fermenter, and i got to put beer in it tomorrow. So it's just me with, like, a garden hose (laughs) and a little pump sprayer just spraying, like, a de-icer up there, like, Doug, you good? I'm like, be here for, like, six hours. It's all right. Don't worry about it. (laughs) What size tank? Uh, That was a, a 220 barrel, which to us is a little baby, but... You know, we were somewhere in the neighborhood of like 4,000, 5,000 gallons that came out of that bad boy. But to hear that, this is going to be fun. Well, the first beers we made at our production facility was Triple Crown Brown. And uh, we did not yet know the power of our brand new, amazing uh, glycol chiller. And we had it set really low, like 18 degrees or something like that. And it ended up freezing. Um... And yeah, same thing. We had a bunch of ice stuck to the wall, and the ABV was a little higher than we had expected it to be. <laughs> well, I remember your first beer on that system was supposed to be triple ground. Maybe this was the same batch, and it turned into super crowd brown. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was yeah. Like, look at it. this efficiency. Anybody drink Molson Ice? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't know you guys you iced it, too. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a whole other world. <laughs> it's a great time. Ben, let's pop that bottle yeah. open. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we got here? It's a... Uh, a uh, wild uh, farmhouse cider, so basically uh, champagne-y kind of. On the, it's really carbonated, dry. By the microphone, people heard that. Want to do the honors or You know, we're we're beer guys too. So was this natural there. yeast then? Yeast on the apples? Uh, yes. Oh yeah. It's a real bookshelf. Wow. It's been aging for a while. I can hear that through the mic. It the yeah, it sounds so. It's very. <laughs> there we go. 
I was going to say, we're all beer guys, so we're, we're talking uh, beer, 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 but home brewing isn't just limited to, to beer making either. No, not at all. Um, yeah, wine, cider. Mead. Mead, yeah. Kombucha now, too. Kombucha. And it, for Craft people with coffee. kids, too. Yeah. yeah, people would make their own sodas all the Soda, yeah. time. Mm-hmm. It's a way to just engage with, with the whole family. And that was another thing I really liked about uh, working in the homebrew store that you kind of lose a little bit, is you would see entire families everybody helping out it just kind of reminded you of that old like 1700s mentality of like everybody yeah. does everything you'd have kids helping pick and weigh grain you'd have kids helping go and find the hops or kids finding the the yeast and like it just absolutely immediately removes that stigma of like we're not just doing this to get drunk it is a fun side effect but we're not doing that for this reason we're doing it to engage that creative side of our brain engage that analytical side of our mm-hmm. brain and hopefully share if not necessarily the hobby itself, but a work ethic with our family. Yeah. And it, I mean, shoot back in the historical days, it was a way to, yeah, that was a, it was sustenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the, the idea of the farmhouse sale came from the fact that it was to serve the people who worked on the farm. Yep. Safer than, it was safer than having water in certain parts of, of the past. So, Bruins, it's a really interesting historical <coughs> topic if, if you ever get into it, because just how it got from, oh, this is what yeast, or well, they didn't even know what yeast was until a couple hundred years ago. But um, just how it got from you know the first time they put something in a drum to where we are today, it's just a crazy metamorphosis of, of what's happened. Absolutely, it's it does have a very rich uh, and interesting history behind it, and I think even now, you know, we're experiencing living history. Um, with, what with the craft beer renaissance and. Uh, kind of this uh, big boom here in America of this American craft, um, this American craft craft brewery scene. It's uh, it's really interesting kind of seeing the trends um, and seeing people's like perception on brewing. I was actually talking uh, with my coworker today about how <clears throat> Peter Griffin in Family Guy is conveyed as this blue collar, um, you know, brewery worker, and sure, he might work for this this large brewery, but I don't think a lot of craft brewers are seen in that way. I think craft brewing is seen as as sexy and, and glorified, um, and so I think people's perception on what you know who a brewer is or what a brewer is uh, or what a brewery does has definitely changed very recently. And it is neither sexy nor glorified. No, it is not. Most of the people working in the industry look just like I do right now, just sweaty and like. <laughs> Just incapable of moving, you know, like first especially time, by the end of the day. The first time you get sprayed with a yeast from a tank where the pressure is too high. It is, it, it's absolutely wonderful, but it is a labor of love. Uh, but don't get me wrong at all. It is 100% a labor, and you're going to feel it. Oh, every day after work, I smell bad. I look yeah. like like hell. It's, it's, it's not... It's not uh, a great time. It, there's no glory in this at all. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I feel like everybody, a lot of the people, when, it, when you first started out, because I had this in my head, I was like, man, I'm going to come out of the back of my brewery, and I'm going to be wearing my brewery shirt, and it's going to have the name of the beer that I made famous, and I'm going to walk out and be like, I made that. Instead, I walk out, and people are like, do you work here? And I'm like, just leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> just let me have my shift and go home. Just, yeah. just leave me alone for a little while. Well, you know, and I think uh, a lot of people want to get into brewing for the wrong reasons. I think a lot of home brewers probably after they've been doing it for a while, want to get into it for the wrong reasons, and brewery owners will open up breweries for the wrong reasons because it's, uh, A, it's viewed as this sexy thing, um, and if that's all you're in it for, you're not going to make good beer. And, I 100% agree. And B, people, I think a lot of brewery owners see it as this 
really lucrative way um, to make money, but I think at the end of the day, that's just a disservice to the craft as a whole. I think fortunately, a lot of those types never make it far enough, just because it's yeah. it's the the amount of work getting into just getting to opening is really intensive. I mean, talk to any brewery owner that is where they're at. I mean, Founders has plenty of stories of what it took just, and that was back in the day. And now these days, when there's a ton more, uh, just. At some point, you have to have a passion for it, or, or it's going to hit a stopping point. I mean, I over the years, I've been approached by a number of people who are like, we want to start a brewery, and we'd be interested. And usually in about the first five minutes, you can tell, are these the right types of people? And, and a lot of times, they come and they go. Um, and I think that's the nice thing about GR is a lot of the breweries that have had staying power, I mean, you see the passion there. That's the reason that they're good, and that's the reason they stick around, and it's the reason people like them. There's an authenticity, or authenticity to it. So, I mean, and that just, you can't you can't fake that. That's either in you or it's not. The uh, yeah, the entire industry has become extremely saturated too, and I think the people, um, I think the customers starting to catch on to that too, and that there's just a lot of, there's just a lot out there now. Um, I mean, Ben, have have you seen any like decrease in, in home brewing in, in the past couple of years? Yeah, a little bit. I, f- I feel like our business at least has uh, we've shifted a little bit more towards uh, like the draft system, like you know, that type of, those type of sales. And then another kind of a big thing that we've had recently is uh, nitro coffee. I don't know if you guys know about that mm-hmm. whole trend, but um, it's all draft side stuff. So uh, we have coffee shops come in and, and look for information about how to serve their cold coffee through a tap, basically, like a, like you would serve a Guinness. So that's, that's a one way we've kind of made up for that. But uh, yeah. That's really interesting. That's a that's a great way to pivot, and that's that's what I would say is a really <clears throat> enormous thing. There's always pivots that you can do when it comes to anything. You you experience success in, in one way, then you got to shift it to another. With founders, for the longest time, we had success with our pale ale. Pale ale started plummeting. All days going up, you pivot. When now we're you might as well call us all day IPA brewing company. But that's totally great because it allows all of us to to keep in success. I had no idea that you guys were doing that, and that's a really fantastic pivot. Yeah, it just kind of happened. I mean, uh, we had a couple coffee shops come in and say, can you help us set up a, a nitro tap? And then I guess word spread from there. And, you know, everybody, every coffee shop wants to have their own nitro coffee now. So that's that's been nice. Um, and then just kind of odds and ends with local bars and breweries needing faucets or faucet wrenches or just, you know, equipment like that, cleaners, things that just everyday type of stuff like that. And that's a weird thing to say is that you can be passionate about making something like that, but it's 100% true. Yeah. Like a lot of other people that get involved in the industry, uh, Crohn's specifically, Cronus, depending on which country you come from, like a lot of home brewers will eventually go into that because you're dealing with heavy engineering. But if you like to tinker, mm-hmm. making a draft system is one of the most fun things it is, yeah. you can do. Well, the uh, brewing industry is constantly evolving, and I think the people who support that and who are around that um, are, are also evolving um, and changing and adapting, um, but I don't think I don't think home brewing or brewing in general is going anywhere uh, anytime soon, uh, regardless of the trends. But um, that is all the time we have today, though. I want to thank you guys for coming on, and uh, I, I appreciate you guys sharing your insights into home brewing. Uh, once again, we have Ben O'Connor, Doug Dorda, and Nick Rodimer. And as always, I'm the host, Taylor Darling. And I want to give a big shout out to Melophobics for the intro. And 
WKTV for putting this on. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, right. thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.